This is The Irrelevant, a podcast about finding the deeper meaning of seemingly useless information. I'm Rodrigo Nunez, and today's episode is, it's the grass's fault. Most of us have found ourselves in a situation similar to this one. You're doing something athletic. Maybe it's playing basketball or soccer or throwing a football around and your body just fails you. Tragically. Maybe you try and kick the ball and just whiff, or you throw a football and your form is so far off that you hurt yourself and the ball flies a grand total of five feet in the opposite direction of where you meant to throw it, or something like that. If you're like me, and I'm hoping at least some of you are, you won't be able to fully admit that you don't have any discernible talent. Instead, you'll blame something for that tragic mistake. Maybe your hands were sweaty, or the sun got in your eyes, or the field's all messed up. After you whiff the soccer ball kick, you'll bend over and pick at the turf and look up at whoever was on the other side and say like, there's a weird hole here, this park is nasty. <laughs> I know you've done something similar, right? It, it, it's not just me. And even if you're not agreeing with me now, I know it happens. Even at the professional level, even in the NBA, or even in the Premier League, where Leeds United pulled the flashiest, this grass sucks bro, move of all time. So before I go on to the Leeds United bit, this is a really funny thing to watch for in professional sports. In the NBA, for example, whenever a player airballs a shot, especially a free throw, or whenever they hilariously hit the side of a backboard, every once in a while, they'll wipe their hands on their shorts, like almost automatically. They're like, it's just like, oh yeah, my, my hands were sweaty. Just look for it. It's hilarious. And the same thing with football players. Like now that the Super Bowl is coming up, there's only one football game left in the year. Uh, but keep an eye out for this. Whenever they miss an obvious catch, they'll turn to look at their hands like, what did you do that for hands? As if their hands were separate from their body or something like that. It's funny. And it's the one thing I have in common with professional athletes. Um, so yeah, that's something fun to look out for. But Leeds United. I've watched Premier League soccer off and on for years. For me, it's really only fun to cheer for a team when a Mexican is on it, especially because in the past it was difficult to follow games from overseas leagues. But nowadays it's relatively easy. If pricey with all the streaming bundles and everything. Uh, now, Leeds United is the team that I've chosen to follow, and they don't have a Mexican on the team. They do have a Rodrigo, but that doesn't count because he's Spanish. So yeah, I, I, I chose to follow them because Leeds were perennial underdogs. They used to be a relative giant in English soccer until they fell from grace in the 90s. They struggled to come back up to the top level for decades, failing spectacularly every year. They were a has-been team, a relegated, they were perennial losers, and they always found a way to screw it up. They were kind of like the English Cruz Azul, if you follow Mexican soccer, except they were even in the lower division. They were in the second division, so they were even worse off than Cruz Azul. This was their story until... They hired a psycho of a manager who pushed the team and changed the way they played, changed the way the team operated, changed the way the team did absolutely everything. They started acting like a top flight team, even though they weren't, and it worked. Leeds United is back in the Premier League this year, and I've been following them this year, and it's been really fun. 
The man who changed the way they play is Marcelo Bielsa, El Loco Bielsa. He's an Argentine legend of the game, a man who is obsessed over every detail of the game, who has an eye for talent, who analyzes everything, who has spreadsheets upon spreadsheets upon spreadsheets of analysis of players. Um, he is actually kind of close to my heart, or the reason why I like him is that he spent some time in Mexico in the early 90s at Atlas, which is another forgotten team, like they're the, the small team in Guadalajara. Um, and he had a hand in discovering future Mexican national team standouts, Jared Borghetti, Osvaldo Sanchez, Pavel Pardo, and the greatest Mexican soccer player of all time, Rafa Marquez. Um, so because of how intricate he was in scouting and stuff like that, he found some of the best Mexican players of all time. And they came through Atlas's uh, youth academy system. Um, so yeah, he he had a hand in forming Rafa Marquez, who is a man that has provided a tremendous amount of joy in my life. Um, Bielsa also transformed the Chilean national team into contenders. He then went to Europe and transformed Athletic Bilbao and Spain into a relevant team that had a spell in France and Italy before ending up in Leeds in the second division. Now, he has a reputation for being overbearing and controlling and for burning out his players. But in Leeds, he found a match. The players bought in, the city bought in, and his style of soccer, which they called the Bielsa Ball, suited the team and the town to the point that the team was finally promoted and the town was so overjoyed, they named a street after him. <laughs> that term, Bielsa Ball, describes the tactics that Marcelo Bielsa uses, which can be very, very demanding on players. And it's kind of hard to explain, but at its most basic, it's this. Direct attacking soccer that is played at an insane pace while retaining possession. The players are trained to use the whole width of the field, and they rotate constantly to gain numerical advantage on the area of the field where the ball is in motion. And build-up play begins at the back with defenders and often ends in rapid, incisive counterattacks. While defending, the team is like in the position of 4-1-4-1. But when they switch to offense, they revert to 3-3-1-3. Like I said, it's kind of hard to explain, but what it looks like is unrelenting motion and quick passes, defenders streaking forward, players running to the edges of the field, and it never, ever, ever stops. Sometimes players end the game gassed, but it's really fun to watch. The best way I can describe it is giving you this example. So when I was in high school, I, I we had this physics exam, and I still remember this physics exam because um, there was this question where we needed to calculate, given a certain top speed that a runner achieved, for how long did they accelerate? And I messed that question up so bad that I ended up calculating the runner accelerating from the start line, continuously accelerating all the way until they crossed the finish line. And I remember turning that in and I was like, I knew it was wrong, but my teacher was like flabbergasted. And he like asked me to come up to the front and explain how I got that number. And I just remember him telling me, that's not how people run. You accelerate up to a point and then you start losing speed. And I was like, oh. Clearly, he never met Marcelo Bielsa's teams because these dudes accelerate for 90 minutes. These dudes are the embodiment of that awful physics equation that I did back in high school. Um, almost. That, that's the closest I can get to explaining it. 
And the point is, it needs to be fast. The style of play is fast. And you know what can ruin fast action? A bad field. A field that's either too wet or the grass too long with puddles or holes everywhere. That can actually ruin Bielsabal. And some would say that it has this year. Because the field where Leeds United plays isn't the best in the Premier League. In fact, some would say it's one of the worst. And that just won't do for Bielsabal. The team's lost more games at home than they're supposed to. And while no one is straight up blaming the field for it, <laughs> there's a lot of picking up the grass and staring at the field after passes gone astray. And finally, ownership stepped up and really validated those it's the grass's fault thoughts by spending £300,000 on a brand new field from another team. 300000 That's almost $420,000 on a field of grass. There's 10 games left at home for Leeds United, so maybe it's worth it if it makes that much of a difference. And I looked it up. These fields aren't just regular old grass, though. For example... This field that Leeds just bought is a stitched surface, which is produced by a company called Deso Sports. This field is a blend of artificial grass, the kind that you see in like NFL football fields, and natural grass. The whole field is only about 5% synthetic blades deployed uniformly on top of a bed of sand. Then the grass seeds are sowed, allowing the roots of the grass to entwine themselves with the synthetic turf, which makes the grass more resilient, while also allowing for improved drainage. And apparently, it's also worth more than I'll earn in a handful of years. <laughs> a lot of teams have these types of fields, though, like Barcelona, Liverpool, Paris Saint-Germain, Juventus, Wembley Stadium has this type of field, Tottenham, which is the field that Leeds United bought it from, and now Leeds United. And what's even crazier is that that field is going to get ripped out at the end of this season anyway. Because right now they're just replacing the surface alone, but when the season finishes, they will dig out and replace everything underneath it. The drainage system, the undersoil heating system, all the different layers of soil, sand, and gravel. Because Leeds United Field hasn't been worked on in 25 years. So clearly the grass is a huge deal for all Premier League teams, but especially the ones that want to play faster and faster and faster and faster. Now, considering that simply being in the Premier League could get the team a prize of close to 100 million pounds, it makes 300,000 seem like not that big of a deal, right? <laughs> so while it may seem like a ridiculous cost, maybe it's not. It's just mind-blowing the scale of money being spent that enough players looking down and kicking the turf after a missed run or a pass can lead to, and how even at this level, the Premier League, with this coach, a man who is meticulous in tracking analytical data, this grass is so bad, bro, is still a thing. And there's a whole industry based around it. There's not only companies that make these synthetic grass, there's like grounds crews and construction crews and everything that specialize in making sure that the grass isn't to blame. There's a whole sector of the economy that exists in the world because of the thing that we all do when we screw up in sports, which is blame the grass. 
But that's exactly what happened, though. Enough players kicked the turf and a brilliantly insane coach privately expressed concern over the grass and $400,000 was dropped to get a new field in there. Now, as of the release of this episode, Leeds has yet to play on their brand new $400,000 5% synthetic field, but they will on the 3rd of February, and I will be keeping a close eye to see if anyone blames the grass for some mistakes they make. But I can already guarantee you that someone will. That's it for this week's episode of The Irrelevant. Thank you so much for listening. I know that earlier I had promised a series on how NFL owners got their money, and I plan on doing that also, but when I saw how much was spent on a field of grass, I had to look into it, especially because it came from such a, a team that I follow. So I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you learned something or got something out of it. If you like this episode, share it with a friend. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser.com. See you next time, and as always, OR4 did nothing wrong. This is the Irrelevant Podcast Network. Thanks for listening.